Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good evening, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, and we're talking about the Baltimore uprising and protests today. Um, It's just really interesting, and this is extremely important that we talk about this and we put things in its proper perspective. You know, it's time to take control and reframe the narrative that the media is trying to put out there. There's a lot of propaganda that is um, being circulated. Um, I'll name one in particular. Um, The media was reporting that the Bloods and Crips and, you know, the Mafia family, whatever that is, you know, that they were basically um, getting together to go against the police to attack the police, and that was not true. They didn't want the protesters, you know, doing damage in their neighborhoods. They were standing with, you know, the city council, you know, and the elected officials and the police to basically, you know, discourage the looting. But, you know, the media, the way that the police framed that, it had everybody thinking that, well, not everybody, but it had some people believing that. Yeah, not everybody. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. At clarify, you know, that they had some people believing that the gangs were basically joining forces to, you know, go after the police officers, and that was the furthest thing from the truth. Additionally, you know, they're not showing some of the better parts of what's happening. They're not showing um, how people in the neighborhood, how they're banding together to basically clean up the neighborhoods, clean up, you know, what happened from the looters and the rioting. And also, they're not telling you that some of the sports fans basically fan the flames up the riot. When they finished with their sporting event, they were drunk, and some of them were drunk, and they were out there, and it just turned the situation from bad to worse. So I want to tell everybody who's with me tonight. Tonight we have Raina, of course. We have Raina, we have MC Brooks, and we have Rev on the line. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, good. How you? Rocking so yeah, in Dallas, Texas, uh, at the uh, Black Trans Advocacy Conference, and you know people are very concerned about this situation in Baltimore. And at the end of the day, a lot of what we're seeing and hearing is lies, and you have to double and triple check every source because the police are lying. I know that for a fact because I'm getting eyewitness accounts of what's happening. Um, people are calling me, and there are so many lies. Please, please, please double-check and triple-check with folks because you got a lot of liars out here, and psychopathy in full effect. Exactly, exactly. And Raina was, you know, explaining about the situation when the children were, you know, excused from school, but they had, you know, basically shut down public transportation. They basically, you know, um, basically blocked everything off so that the parents couldn't get to the children. So when the children were getting out of school, all they saw were walls of police officers. Raina, you want to talk about that a little bit? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I wasn't obviously um, at the scene at Mondominum Mall, but um, the cops had basically um, started lining up before, um, you know, Douglas got out, you know. And so um, if you, if anybody who knows anything about Baltimore City Schools knows that most of the children ride public transportation, that we don't really have, like, a massive school bus system. We have, you know, um, mass transit. And so the kids that get out of high school over there, they walk over to Mondawmin Mall, which is also a major transit stop. So when they come out of school, all they see are just lines of police officers. I mean, they're just, they're just there, not letting them into the mall. Some of them hang out in the mall until they have to go home. Some of them have to wait for their parents to pick them up from the mall. You know what I mean? So they just see it's just an occupation to them. They come out and they just see the whole area occupied by police. And I feel like on a certain level, like all of this was just, um, this was all provoked by by the panic of, of the city and, and of the police. That this was, you know, this is the reaction they anticipated, but it's the reaction they provoked. I would have to agree with Raina um, because from what I'm hearing that, so they they are told that they basically block transportation for the kids to get home. And then I had uh, a really good friend of mine that was in the mall o'clock and they had shut down the mall at 2 o'clock and told everybody to leave. So the preparation for the light that was not was already in session. And then early in the week, the police commissioner, this was early, uh, I think it was like uh, Wednesday or Thursday of that week, of the previous Mm -hmm. week, the the commissioner had already started saying the word riot. We don't want to riot. Literally planting a suggestion in people's heads. And I know the organizers of some of these peaceful protests, and nobody was talking about a riot. Nobody. So what I'm seeing is, uh, um, and and people don't understand that, the commissioner is having PhD, so he's very adept at wordcraft. He is very adept at basically the science of creating situations. Okay, so when you have this type of thing going on, when you have people literally creating and manipulating situations and people to create certain other things, and then we have this blow up, which is a, a culmination of decades of poverty drug abuse, unemployment, um, poor education, you're going to have this powder keg, and then nobody wants to take responsibility. They want to put it on the poor black kids that are suffering instead of saying, well, maybe we shouldn't have paid $3 million for a a drag race through Baltimore City that nobody cared about. Maybe we shouldn't have built a casino that keeps losing money. Maybe we shouldn't have built a hotel that, um, by the way, Martin O'Malley wanted, that was on the taxpayer's time and that has been continuously losing money. Right. Maybe we shouldn't have done right. that. But instead of investing in our community, we've invested in the big pocket people, and that hasn't paid off for Baltimore at all. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's it really is. a shame what's going on. Yeah. And oh, I was yeah, exactly. Gonna say, I was going to say, in addition to what um, Rev and I were talking about, there's just the fact that, you know, it's coming out that basically the police lied. They lied about the game. You know what I mean? Because exactly. there are several there are several sources 
that that were discussing how the gangs came together for the purposes of a peace treaty, not to go after the cops, not to shoot all of them up, because they have to live, live in these neighborhoods too. They know what's going to happen if they go after the police. They know it's going to be more than just them that gets, that gets killed. You know what I mean? And they, and it's but the way that it was um, portrayed, or I guess the way that the police decided to spin it, you know, was that this was a credible threat of violence towards police, which right. I just don't exactly. I just don't understand. Unless they exactly. unless they were trying to provoke this kind of reaction, and that's what I believe. I believe they provoked this on purpose. Right, right. And again, you know, we're seeing, you know, these protests happening across the country. And what's interesting is you have a lot of, you know, um, white people who are, especially the conservatives, you know, pointing the finger at, you know, the protesters and making comments like, you know, um, you know, fire on sight or what have you, shoot on sight. And it's just really interesting because, you know, some of the poor whites, you know, that are making these, you know, um, you know, inflammatory statements, what they don't seem to realize is once the police get through, you know, basically running roughshod over people of color, black, Latinos, Asians, indigenous, then they're going to attack the poor whites. This is how it's been throughout history. History is just repeating itself. If you go and you look back in our history, it seems that between every 45 to 60 years that there is some type of uprising. And so I think this was long overdue, but I've been saying for a while that we're sitting on a powder keg. So, I mean, I know, um, Brooks, you went out there one of these days and you demonstrated, right? Uh, well, I, I just I actually just happened to be in Baltimore that day. Uh, and um, ended up getting caught up in the protest because I was I was down at the harbor uh, when the protest got down there. Oh, okay, okay. So what did you see? Uh, I saw a lot. I mean, one, the police that were out there were clearly like agitated, and you, a lot of them were were kind of mouthing off at some of the protesters down on. Um, uh, not far from, I think is what, Light Street or whatever, the, uh, I think it's Light Street and whatnot. I saw, you know, Orioles and, and Red Sox fans. And this was before the game, actually. Uh, I know you said it was after the game, but it was actually before the game um, that a lot of them were down there throwing things and, and referring to protesters as animals and hurling uh, slurs at, at, at people and even calling some of the, the white the white folks that were protesting alongside them, things like nigger lovers. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I just find it interesting that you have so many people who don't know the history of this country, do not necessarily understand white supremacy and colonialism. And so I just wanted to, you know, ask the panel here, you know, is what we're seeing now, you know, happening across the country, particularly with these young people, because me personally, I never thought that I would see these young people stand up. I never thought I would see it in my lifetime, and I've been, 
you know, pleasantly surprised. That's because so, you're not from Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I live in Chirac, y'all. I live in Chirac, and, you know, it's like in the past year and a half or two years, I've seen three people get shot. And, I mean, mm. just directly in front of me. And it's like, okay. So, you know, we see a lot of the stuff that's happening. But what I will say is a lot of the young folks in Chicago are out here protesting as well. You know, um, one thing that I want to make sure that we get across today, we want to make sure that people understand that this is not about just black men. You know, this is about black women, black girls, black boys. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Kim, because I just wanted to tell you – Mm-hmm. that um, I had a, one of my coworkers today um, was telling me that um, one of her friends volunteered for the cleanup today, and she said that in talking to a number of the children that were out on the street, um, the girls were complaining that many of the police officers um, propositioned them for sexual Ooh. favors on a, on a regular basis. Wow. Yeah, she she's heard it from multiple girls and and I don't know if any of you have been paying attention but American African American Policy Forum just did a um a Black Girls Matter um I don't think that was the actual name but basically they did a, a basically a 5-day um conference online and I I don't know if all of the segments are available but I'll check. But um you know they were talking about na- nationwide there's actually an epidemic of sexual assault and sexual harassment by police officers. So this is this is something that's going on all across the country. You know, this is something we have to keep an eye on. And so when she says that it's not just about black men or black boys, she's she's absolutely correct. I mean, you know, our girls are being killed. Um, in addition to being killed and brutalized, they're also being raped and sexually assaulted by the men who are supposed to, by the men and women who are supposed to supposedly protect and serve them, right? Right. And, you know, I'm writing that down so that we can possibly make that one of the panels for our conference. And for those of you that are listening, I'm just going to make a brief um, announcement. Our Moving Social Justice 2 conference, which is part of our Social Justice Summit, it will definitely be taking place on October 17th and 18th in Washington, D.C. at the MLK Library. So it's accessible by public, public transportation. There are plenty of restaurants in the immediate vicinity, so you don't have to drive to go anywhere. And we'll have more details coming up, but, you know, again, put together your United Negro Conference Funds and get ready because it's going to be in D.C. October 17th and 18th at the MLK Library. So, you know, I'm very pleased to be able to announce that. And we are taking donations at pocbeyondfaith at gmail.com. Again, pocbeyondfaith at gmail.com. And, you know, you can that goes to our PayPal account to help us pay for some of the administrative, you know, duties that we need to do in order to make this conference a success for you guys. So getting back to what I was saying earlier, you know, not only, you know, um, boys and men, you know, girls and and women, we also have to take into consideration the LGBTQ community, 
because, you know, we've had issues with, you know, trans people being killed and not getting any media, you know, coverage. And we've seen some suicides. And, you know, one thing I will say is that I'm encouraged because, you know, it seems like there's a movement going for acceptance just across the board. But, you know, getting back to, you know, the conversation at hand, um, you know, Rev, I guess my question yeah. to you is, what would you like to see accomplished? I mean, what should we be going to the powers that be, if you will, and demanding? What are some of the demands that we should have on the table? First and foremost is jobs. We need jobs to pay a living wage for our young people. Many of the um, gang-affiliated brothers who came together, they would say that we would not be out here doing what we're doing if we had jobs that paid a living wage. That is first and foremost. Secondly, we need housing. We need standard, above standard housing for people. That looks like they need to have a real plan to transform the 40-plus thousand uh, abandoned buildings in Baltimore. Um, thirdly, we need some mental, uh, true mental health care, mental health care system, because a lot of the children that we saw out there doing what they were doing have PTSD from the violence in their homes. And I would say next to that would probably be a true substance abuse counseling. We need to decriminalize um, a lot of uh, drugs, and we need to treat it as a medical problem. Mm-hmm. The former mayor of, of Baltimore, Kirk Schmoke, he tried to do that and was um, soundly rebuffed. Um, and from what I've heard, now there, there's, there are disputes around um, how many actual active substance abusers are in Baltimore. Baltimore has 600,000 people. And I have heard it said that there are almost 60,000 substance abuse uh, users. That means people who are active, who are in active addiction, and people who are in recovery. That is 10% of the entire population of the city of Baltimore. Now, these people don't live in a vacuum. They're not hermits. They are in active families. So, a lot of the children that you saw taking action yesterday are actually children of substance abuse users. We're talking about four or five generations of kids who, um, of people who um, ha- who actually were exposed in utero to cocaine and heroin. Like, that's a real situation in Baltimore. And so if you don't have systems designed to deal with all of these problems, you're going to get what we saw, and it's going to be worse. And the answer is not let's ship them out to Howard County or or. Uh, uh, Baltimore County, the answer is treating people with compassion and respect instead of uh, having swim slam, sham, uh, NASCAR races that nobody comes up here for, or um, investing in Harbor Point um, high price development. Can we get some investment in people? Can we exactly. get some investment in people? And, and honestly, you know, what we're seeing is um, a really uh, an amazing um, collapse in leadership. And, um, like, you know, a lot of us watch House of Cards and we're gagging, like, oh, my God, this guy's a monster and we can't believe it. But, baby, real life is better than movies, I'm telling you. Because what we are seeing now is 
where is the leadership at? And I and, and honestly, I am willing to. I work with folks at City Hall because I believe in a better Baltimore. I truly love this place, even though I'm not from here. I was educated here, and I became an adult in Baltimore, so I'm dedicated to the city. That being said, we need leadership that understands the people of Baltimore from a heart space and that can legislate from a space of humanism, not we're going to pray that it gets better. We're going to beseech a, de- a, a deity in the sky and pray that something happens. No, we need people that's going to take for real action. Don't give me Jesus when I need a job. That's a, and I'm, I'm a Christian minister saying that because I've seen too many poverty tents that will throw Jesus out there and y'all not giving up nothing. We're over that. And let me show you, the baby that you saw out there throwing rocks, they're not going to church. I'm sorry, they're just not. We need something else. Exactly. And you're absolutely correct. And, you know, you said coming from a humanist, you know, um, viewpoint or perception. And what I find interesting about the whole thing and about how this this protest movement, this Black Lives Matter movement, the way that it's set up, it is set up in such a way that I just think it's pure genius, just to be honest with you. It's actually set up the same way that SNCC was originally set up. And basically it's a leaderless movement that everybody has the, you know, the ability and the opportunity to lead individually because we have to make it understood and make, you know, make this message very plain to people because, you know, even with a lot of the the things that, you know, we advocate and that we're trying to do, we're trying to make it about the issues. We're trying to make it about the platform. We do not want to make it about any one specific organization or any one specific one or two people because, you know, Unfortunately, you know, in in situations like this, you have people who are basically self-promoting, you know, selfish hedonists that are putting themselves in the forefront, namely Jamal Bryant. You know, he had his friend Cory Booker fly in to to help him, you know, so-called lead these young people, you know, and again, I mean, look at what happened down in Ferguson. You know, he went down there. Jamal Bryant went down to Ferguson with Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson. Um, As far as what I know, Al Sharpton is there now. He's in Baltimore. And, look, this is the way that I see it. After Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, you know, you had these so-called black leaders there, and they all ran. And for the past 50 years, What have they done besides put money in their pocket and fatten their stomachs? So I guess my question would be to, you know, Brooks, um, what would you like to see done differently? Do you believe that those old, you know, civil rights movement leaders, that particular vanguard, do you think that they have anything they can really contribute to this particular movement? Hello, Brooks? Raina? I'm I'm still here. I have to check off. I'm still I'm here. <laughs> okay, your um, broke TV dropped off. Um, I have to check out because I'm I'm about to go into a meeting. But lastly, um, I I would actually really like to see leaders like Philip Agnew, 
the young people in Ferguson who really delivered um, a cogent message because right. what I'm seeing here is, I mean, what troubles me about certain folks that are now um, come, trying to come into this space is their anti-LGBT views, which are problematic mm-hmm. because we're out there too. Our lives matter too. Um, and right. we know that people have have a history of uh, of anti things and the loving anti trans rhetoric, and then on top of that, these are the same people who raise money over and over and over again, and and Baltimore still broke. So we need young people who are fresh, who have dynamic views, and come from a humanist point of view that will get us to where we need to go. And um, I still I have hope. I have hope that Baltimore is on the cusp of change, but it has to it has to have a people centered, people driven and people focused movement. And um I'm trying to be part of that and I am going to be part of that and I'm working now to make that happen. So I appreciate you, Kim and Raina and everybody else, um, in the sound of my voice who's really sending good vibes to Baltimore and that are on the ground wherever they are working for change because this is what the shift looks like. People looking for hope on the spot. No. What we what we are looking at is the change in people's hearts and minds for a people centered movement, people driven, people led, and people focused. So thank you, thank you all. Oh, hey, thank you, thank you thank for you. Uh, for your contributions. So we're gonna let you move on. Bring us something back all right. now. All right, now. <laughs> Take care. Yeah. So, you know, how would you respond to that question? And I see you seven seven zero. Give me a minute. Raina, how would you respond to the question about the old civil rights vanguard basically trying to edge themselves into this movement and these, you know, um, prosperity preachers, you know, trying to put them in that particular one? Because he does have political aspirations, Jamal Bryant. Oh, yeah, absolutely he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I mean, I feel like... um, Okay, um, Brooks's phone died, FYI. Um, but, um, yeah, so as far as, um, I just wanted to go back to something that, um, that Rev was talking about. Um, Rev was talking about, um, you know, how, what things we need in the city. And I just also wanted to add that in addition, in addition to what Rev was talking about with um, mental health care and the state of mental health care in Baltimore City, we also still have a problem with lead paint poisoning. You know yes. what I mean? And that has yes. not gone away. And there's also a large problem of of um of pollution and uh food deserts and yes. all of those types of things as well. And um you know, and we also have a lack of public spaces, rec centers. I mean, yes, we have some very nice public parks, but most of them happen to be concentrated in areas um where affluent white people live. Um, exactly. And, you know, and there's a, a growing gap. Um, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the gap has always been there, <laughs> you know, from the very beginning. It's even, even going back to the founding of Baltimore. You know what I mean? There's always been a gap between rich and poor in Baltimore City, but um, the gap has, has definitely grown um, in recent times, and um, it's not getting any better. And um, until, we, until we address um, these issues, there can not be any progress. And um, as far as the um, civil rights vanguard and their position, um, in, you know, in terms of helping Baltimore, I, I think they need to stay out, honestly. I mean, they, they don't really have anything to offer us. I mean, 
you know, Baltimore has been a decaying city for a very, very long time as far as um, people of color go. I mean, you know, we have a lot in common with other major um, black metropolises. I mean, after slavery, Baltimore City was probably one of the largest city, uh, had one of the largest concentrations of African-Americans anywhere in the country um, at at that time, you know, um, you know, free and slave African-Americans, you know, um, and, you know, and Baltimore continues to, you know, um, you know, be known for, you know, having a large concentration of black people. Um, you know, it's just, there's just a lot of, um, you know, just ongoing, um, things that we need to address in the city. It's, it's in the city planning, it's in how the city addresses the needs of, of, of its poorest residents. Um, Uh it's how, um, it's how they, uh, the city demolished, um, a number of city projects without any real um, plans for how to address their housing needs. Um, I mean, there's this. I mean, even now with the with the curfew, um, you know, the curfew is not this curfew that they're instituting is not you know the first time that we've seen this under Stephanie Rawlings Blake, and um, and actually the the curfew carries a pretty steep um, financial penalty for parents. Right. And um, in a city where people don't really have financial resources like that. And so you have a situation that's very similar to Ferguson in a number of ways. And, um, you know, it's just, yeah. You were going to say something. No, 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 no. It's just, go ahead and finish. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's, you know, so there's just, there's just a lot of things um, that we need to, um, that we need to address fundamentally in our in our discussions of of how to move forward and the last discussion we need to be having is about how violent the protests are um you know as someone said on uh, i don't remember where they said this but um so i i cannot you know give them adequate credit and i apologize but you know i care i I don't care very much about broken windows but i do care a lot about broken necks and um broken lives and 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 in baltimore we've had a lot we have a lot of broken lives and broken hearts and people are angry and they, and you know, this anger has been simmering for a very, very long time. And, um, and now it's coming out. I mean, even at Morgan state where Rev and I both attended, um, there's the remnants of a wall that was built to keep black people out of the white neighborhoods that now of course have, have, have transformed, but um, right. a long time ago, they weren't even allowed to go into the into the shopping center that it, that's over there by Morgan State University. Um, that shopping center was all white. You weren't allowed to go to the movie theater, and they erected a wall to keep us mm-hmm. out. You know what I yeah. mean? This is in the city of Baltimore. You know, so and you know, and although the walls don't necessarily exist to keep black people separated from white people, the economics. And right. the um, the redlining and the districting effectively keep them separate. You know exactly. It, that's the absolute truth. And it's interesting that you brought up that wall because I would challenge anyone that's living in um, you know a metropolis, you know, a major city, when you get on the highway and you all see those walls erected on the highway, that is to cover up what they consider as blight. And just do some studying on urban planning. You know, I did a series about that, 
And, um, you know, we talked about that and what Raina was saying earlier about, you know, the penalties. We did a show a few weeks ago about, you know, the um, high cost of being poor, how being poor and in poverty, how expensive it is. So, I mean, we've done some shows about this, but we're going to do more. Let's take this call from Atlanta. May we ask who's calling? Uh, yeah, this is uh, Larry speaking. Hi, Larry. How are you? Uh, thank you sir. for taking my call. Yeah, thank well, you for you taking like... my call. This, this mm-hmm. is an important issue that needs discussion for sure. But I would submit to you that uh, in light of your recent comment that Baltimore is a decaying city, and that is as true a statement as the dawn follows the night. No doubt about it. And I would submit to you that it's going to decay even further than it is right now, Baltimore, 18 months, a year from now, will be in infinitely worse shape than it is right now, especially after the remarks of that utterly incompetent woman who was the mayor of Baltimore ought to be recalled because she clearly has no understanding whatsoever of her most important governmental official duty as a public official, and that is the protection of life first and property second. It is the most single important function of government. There are none more important, even if you believe some are as important, because the purpose of government essentially is about force. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about a dog leash law or collecting a tax. At the bottom line, every government must employ force to, or the implied threat of force to achieve its ends. It's got to be there. Without it, there's no need for the government. The government will have no means to ensure that its laws are complied with. This woman clearly revealed an utter lack of understanding of that. And in that respect, no matter how she may redeem herself or not in the days to come by maybe rectifying her mistakes, I would submit to you that her leadership will be severely challenged. Yeah. All right. Now he meant those words. Okay. Yeah, he, I mean, he meant that, like for real. <laughs> mm. So I guess. I mean, I, I, I've rarely seen worse. I mean, the woman just said space to destroy. Now she's apologizing for using the word thug. Well, maybe she could have used words that were more appropriate. There probably wasn't a need to word thug, use the word thug to accurately describe those who were rioting and destroying property and endangering life. But since she used it, I see no need to apologize for it. It is thug like behavior. No, what's so thug-like behavior just say, I'm not gonna say it again in the future. Yeah. Because because the the reason that she's she's being pressured to apologize is because that word is dehumanizing and that word is being used in place of the word nigger. To dehumanize okay, ma'am. How about this? Who are How about this? In these How about this? Out of control, violent, semi-feral youth. How about that? No, if I told you feral. in your car with your family in a car, feral. yeah, feral. They're not feral. No, what? No, what's? No, what's thug-like behavior is severing a man's spine eighty percent. That's exactly. what thug like. That's what thug, that's what thug like behavior is. What's what thug like behavior is cutting off someone's ability to breathe. 
and then not right. and then not getting them medical help or medical attention. What is thug-like behavior is the over uh, the over uh, you know I think there was something like a hundred you know um, mm-hmm. different uh, you know incidents that have occurred what um, over over the last couple of years major right. you know televised incidents you know that what's what's and the and the behavior that has actually led to the city of Baltimore paying out over six million dollars in damages and restitution to families that have been affected by by police brutality. You you don't pay out that kind of money unless you're unless the city is participating in an enterprise that is thuggish. So I submit that the state is is practicing thug behavior and has been practicing thug-like behavior against people of color from the very beginning. You know, I mean, someone on Twitter the other day said that, you know, if the, if the soil of the United States had to speak, it would spend most of its time coughing up blood. Mm. And that's the truth. Well, how about that? And, yeah, I would have to agree with you, Raina. You know, I don't see those young people out there as thugs, you know, young or old, you know, that are out there protesting for their rights, their civil liberties. I do not see them as thugs. I see the uniformed officers and the plainclothes officers, I see them as thugs. And the reason why I say that is because they're able to get away with you know, basically, you know, beating and killing and maiming people with impunity. It's like, you know, the way the laws are set up, they will not be charged for what they're doing. And it's just, you know, the whole thing is we need an agenda. We need to put some things together so that we can, you know, make certain demands of the powers that be. And most importantly, our voices need to be heard. And it's just, it's important that we talk about these things, but also, you know, in regards to calling, you know, these young people thugs or what have you, that's not helping anything. And, And what's unfortunate about that is that many of those children have been called that and worse. So, you know, bad enough when they see it in the media and sometimes they hear it from some people in the community, you know, they may hear it from people in their family, but they're not thugs. They're not. They're angry. And they have a reason to be angry. So, you know, I mean, I understand about the rule of law, but when you go back and you look at the history of this country and you look at the laws that are on the books, you'll see how, you know, this has been set up for us to fail. And that's how it's been, you know, um, since, you know, before and after slavery. I mean, look at Jim Crow. Look at, you know, you have a number of things that you can use as a reference point. But, no, you know, these they have a right to make their voices heard, and we have a right to have demands met. Um, what's interesting is, and I'm going to, you know, take it off a little bit here, for Rakia Boyd, the officer that was basically, you know, not indicted for Rakia's um, murder, you know, they had a rally for her in a few places, and no one showed up. And this is why you have some women in, in you know, some women and feminists, you know, not all women are feminists. Um, we've had some of them saying that they weren't going to go out and protest anymore because it seems as though the value of a woman or girl's life is not as valuable 
as, you know, a man or boy's life, the way that the people are showing up. And we do. We need to get out here and we need to protest for everybody, but we need to make sure that we do not lose you know, this narrative that we don't allow the media and their propaganda to reframe, you know, what's happening here. People don't realize, you know, Black Lives Matter was created by three queer women of color. We need you to understand that. Um, we have a call from 269. Let me pull them into the conversation. 269, may we ask who's calling? Two six nine. All right, so I'm going to put them back on hold, and you can press 1 to take off, to get yourself off the queue, and then press 1 to put yourself back on. That's when I'll know you're ready. But, you know, you know, whole thing is, you know, very hurtful. You know, um, I posted an article talking about some of the amazing photographs that have been taken um, in regards to, you know, this protest. And, you know, you have, you see these young people, you see the tears in their eyes, you can see the fear, you can see the anger. And so I guess my question to, you know, to those of you that are listening, you know, will listen to this later in archives, my question to you is, how can you help? How can you be of service? I think that's how we should look at this particular situation. You know, um, you know, I, I received a phone call from somebody you know, that's out there and, you know, they're, they've been out there protesting um, as well. And so basically they were, you know, reaching out for some assistance. And in addition to that, I posted up the link so that people can contribute to the jail bail fund and the lawyer's fees for, you know, these people that are being arrested, these protesters. And so for the, you know, the young man that I spoke with that's in that area, you know, um, I'm basically sending them a care package, you know, with the water and powdered milk and a Pepto-Bismol first aid kit and all of that. So, you know, what I did was, you know, what I'm going to do, because I haven't set it up totally yet, but I'm just going to order it from a store and leave it there at will call, and then they can go and pick it up. So that way I don't have to pay shipping fees. But, I mean, there are different things that you can do to help these people. So look into the community for um, – you know, people that are part of the protesters and reach out and help. You know, they need that. These young people, I mean, they don't have any opportunities, not any real opportunities, so you know they don't have the money to maintain themselves. And so, you know, it's, it's just interesting. So, Raina. Yes. All right. My question to you would be in regards to, you know, the – you know, the media and and some of the people in the community, how they're overlooking girls and women as far as, you know, incarceration rates, you know, suspension from school rates, you know, um, just, just, you know, all of it. You know, they have, we have, black women and girls, you know, we are being incarcerated at the same rate that black men are. And, you know, what's happening there, what would you say to the people who are saying that they will no longer protest because black women and girls aren't being, you know, um, acknowledged in this movement and how this movement has been co-opted? I would say to them that I understand their concerns and um, that I, I really, I mean, I can't chastise them, you know. 
Um, right. Black women and, and girls have been ignored for, for much too long, and, and the LGBT community as well. Um, That's right. You know, there's a lot of times we talk about black issues and gay issues, but we forget that there's a lot of people that um, that are in both camps. <laughs> you know what I mean? For whom the issues are are are, are uh, intersectional and um, and in some ways um, worse than than either one you know faced alone. You know what I mean? So um, you know sometimes we have to check our privilege and we have to recognize that. Um, you know, while, while, you know, no one denies the fact that, you know, black men are in peril, you know, but black women are in peril too. I mean, um, right. I think Time Magazine came out with some kind of, um, some kind of uh, calculation that they did where they um, took together the incarceration rates of black men and the, um, the numbers of early, the numbers concerning early mortality. And they came up with some, some number like, um, a million and a half black men are missing from their communities. Right. Um, right. And, and, you know, and no one's done that for black women, but we do know that over 64,000 black women are unaccounted for. And we do know that black women are now facing the same levels of incarceration as black men. And we do know that despite black women attending college at greater rates, that we don't finish as often right. as many other groups. And we know that even when we do finish, that um, our employment opportunities are not um, the same as our, um, even our white counterparts. Um, right. Or, or our male counterparts in, in many cases. And um, that's even, even a step beyond that, when we are finally, or when we, when we have finally rather arrived at, a, at our career, um, we find that we are still underpaid and undervalued, and um, you know. And then, when, and then beyond that, of course, there's just the shaming that comes in. You know, black women are generally, you know, blamed for many of the problems of the black community, including the failing rates of marriage. You know, so I mean, these are you know things that we have to keep in mind. And of course, like you know, Rev um, mentioned earlier, and how I mentioned earlier, there's also the um, the sexual abuse. You know, That's and, right. um, and, and, and sexual assaults. Black women are, are, are particularly vulnerable to sexual assault. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't remember what the rates specifically for black women are, but I do think that they, um, that they were, that the numbers are fairly high that most women experience sexual assault before they're 14 years old. But I think the numbers are even higher for black women um, because even as little girls, we're not viewed as being innocent, especially if our bodies are developed. And um, it's just really, it's just really a shame, you know, and we, we really need to, um, you know, inc be inclusive in how we talk about the black community and what our problems are. And, and that's the only way that we're going to find solutions. We can't all get free unless we all get free. That's right. Know? That's right. That's right. That's right. That's all of us. Everybody, all black lives matter. And, you know, we just want to make sure that that is understood. We're going to try 269 again. 269, may we ask who's calling? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, we can. May I ask your name? Uh, having a little little phone trouble. Uh, my name is Matu. Okay, hi, Matu. Um, you have any comments for us tonight? Yeah, uh, I had uh, tried to chime in earlier. I wanted to 
Well, let me let me speak on what the sister was talking about there. Um, and I know it's a very uh, a sensitive uh, subject, but you know the uh, I don't know the danger. I think there's a danger in um, black women taking the position of not necessarily it's, it's quasi feminist. Um, you know, but to say, you know, a black woman is going to um, not protest, um, <clears throat> we're in the same boat. And so you, you know, not protesting certainly uh, will not change the position of the African in America. So from a, you know, I guess a political strategy you know, to push the agenda of, well, we're going to sit this one out uh, because our lives, you know, don't matter as much as a man. I, for for African women, it's 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 child's play. Yeah, I guess that's the best way to describe that. So, I would certainly hope that black women uh, don't uh-huh. take that approach of uh, sitting in protest out. But and now uh, my second thought, well, I just want while to you're chastising, to... but while you're chastising black women who may take that position, I hope that you're <clears throat> chastising their brothers for not taking up for them when it comes to rape and sexual assault, for not taking up for them in, in terms of addressing the daily disrespect that black women face from the media, from our communities, from the way that we're discussed, from, you know, from, from street harassment, from from a number of the things that black women face. So I hope that while you are chastising those black women, you're also chastising their brothers. I just wanted to yeah, know that well, out Yeah, well, the, there's no question that the African family in America is dysfunctional. Uh, so if you want, I mean, we can, there's a laundry, a laundry list, right? I mean, we can think of 10... You know, I mean, there's really not black. a whole lot to say. I'm not disagreeing with what she just finished saying. I didn't say that I was one of those women. I said that I understood and that I understand because black women are often ignored when it comes to the, the to these movements for freedom. Black women's issues are ignored. That's why the Kambahi River Collective was formed. That's why black feminism exists. So exactly. you know, this, is, this is not new. Right, and let me well, add on I, to that. To add on to that, during the Black Power, during the Black Power and the Civil Rights Movement, Black women were basically given an ultimatum and told they can either be for Black Power or feminism. You know, the feminist movement, and and they were told that they couldn't, you know, be be a part of both movements. And, you know, there was, you know, issues of misogyny and sexism in both, you know, the Black Panther Party as well as the Civil Rights Vanguard. You know, they had some issues there. And and basically with the black women that decided to support the black power movement and the civil rights movement, they were promised that, you know, they they would be next and that their needs and desires and demands would be met. But it never happened. Because once the men got, you know, basically scraps thrown from the master's table, then they felt like they were done and that they had arrived. 
And so, you know, I can understand why, you know, quite a few women are saying, no, we got to talk about this and march to this and deal with this simultaneously because we get tired of being, you know, basically thrown under the bus. Black men have thrown us under the bus. White people have thrown us under the bus, in particular some of the white women that were part of the feminist movement. Once they achieved their particular goal, they threw us under the bus. And, you know, in addition to this, is what's interesting is even in the humanist community, you know, as we're sitting here and we're watching, you know, the white men in this community throw the white women and the feminists under the bus. They just act like the rest of us don't exist. So, you know, it doesn't matter to them. But, um, yeah, I can understand why some of these women feel the way that they do. You know, and we basically, we, we need to sit down and we need to talk about these issues. Because, you know, like I said, when they had a couple of marches set for Rakia Boyd, nobody showed up. So I feel that women have every right to be angry about that. Well, let, let me let me let me say this. <clears throat> you know, we I, I, let me let me let me give you a, a scenario. Uh, we, we're certainly at war, uh, and there's no question that uh, both myself and you, uh, black women and black men, are in the same foxhole. Mm-hmm. Now, you know. And there's shots being fired, right, right over the foxhole. I think if, in fact, we are in the foxhole uh, talking about black male, black female relationships or the way that the black woman is treated, and, uh, I think we both will will certainly die. Uh, at the place where we're at, uh, we need you. We need to load the guns and shoot. And so basically, any, so basically, it's all good they, as long as black women sit in the back and and no, 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 and no, no, support no, no, the men I, and I, wait their turn. No, no, no. That's what you're, that's what I you're said, preaching. I, that's what no, you're no, preaching. No, 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 wait, 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 why did you cut me off? So I said we need to. Load but that is weed. not that is that is not Load that is not gun. what happens. But that is not what happens. Whenever it whenever okay. it is said that we that we need to do this, usually that means that black women have to sit in the back and wait their turn. So right, until so until me, black me, men until black men recognize. The, the unique yep. position that black women find themselves in, in terms of the intersection yep. of of sex and race, there's not really, okay. there's going to be a lot of women who are going to say, fuck that. Yeah, okay. I see, what, I see who I'm talking to now, but let me, let me I'm going to let you guys go, but I did want to speak on. I also on, see who I'm, I'm talking I, to. I, I peeped you a long time yeah, ago. I, You're good. I, I'm done with that issue. Uh, but let me speak to the um, the issue of the community and where Baltimore goes from here. Is that okay? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Um, <clears throat> certainly, the okay. First of all, there is no such thing as a black community, and I can prove it. Uh, but now, let me tell you what will happen from here. Uh, Baltimore is no different from Ohio. Is no different from Detroit. Is no different from okay, you name it. What will happen from here 
is that the state of Maryland, along with the federal government, will uh, pump a few million bucks into Baltimore. It's almost like a baby crying, you know? It needs a pacifier bottle. They'll pump about $50 million into Baltimore. The funds, the public funds will get intercepted, and this is what I mean you don't have a community. A community means that you have the interlocking institutions that shape the character and the personality of your people. That's, that's a, a, a short answer. All right. Your public funds will get intercepted by United Way, the Salvation Army, your local workforce development center, and none of these organizations that I'm speaking of, blacks are not the stakeholders. A community has stakeholders. All of your right. public funds will get all of your public funds will get siphoned away. What they'll do, they'll call a few meetings. The governor will do a he'll do a study. He'll he'll run around the black community, get you some coffee and donuts, and let you guys cry. And then they'll write down what you say you need, which I heard the sister saying earlier, we need more parks, we need more workforce development. They're gonna write all of that down and then they're gonna pump the funds in there and you won't see a dime of them. This is Oh yeah, and what's interesting about what you said, you know, um, and there is some validity to that because I mean we've talked about how a lot of money has been stipulated for HIV AIDS outreach and we will definitely be out again this year for National HIV Testing Day. But a lot of money earmarked toward, you know, local organizations or toward local communities. Uh, they are intercepted, and, you know, the grants are given to some of the larger organizations that have been around for a while. And this is why we say that these nonprofit organizations, it doesn't matter if it's a church, you know, or any other secular or what have you, you know, organization, they need to have an auditing process. And they should be totally accountable for the money that comes in. And going back to what you said again, this is why I'm saying that we need to put together people that can represent these communities, but we have to put together an agenda and a platform. And, you know, until we get organized and put this together and walk on it and stand on it and demand the changes that need to be, you know, that need to happen in these communities, we're just going to see history continue to repeat itself. And this is why we talk about history and we put things in certain, you know, um, perspectives and why we're trying to take control and reframe the narrative that's out there now because we see and we know what has happened. And, and you're correct about how some of the funds have been siphoned off, but it's not just the larger white organizations that do that. You know, there are some black organizations and churches that, you know, get those funds and you you don't see anything. You know, some of these churches and some of these, you know, secular organizations have applied for city and state grants for, you know, outreach to the community. You know, here we go again, HIV and AIDS. And they receive the grant and nothing happens. But one week a year, they will talk about HIV and AIDS because there's another organization that gives them money to specifically talk about that that one week. Well, what about the other 51 weeks? So, I mean, that's a problem across the board. 
So this is why we're saying we need to organize more in order to make any type of, you know, effective change. You know, so, I mean, it's important. Thanks for calling. We appreciate it. You know, so, Raina. Yes, sir. You know, what are your thoughts on that? about us putting together an agenda and a platform. And and basically, you know, it, it's time for us to get out here and, you know, organize our communities, have representatives, you know, have people to lobby for us. I think it's time that, you know, there's a number of things, but because we know people steal information, I won't put that out there. You know, something that, you know, we're going to do as people of color beyond faith you know, part of, you know, the scope of work that I'm putting together for us. But, you know, what what, what say you, Raina? I mean, well, for one, I don't necessarily agree. I don't think that, like, black people need a single agenda. I think there needs to be several black agendas. And I think they need mm-hmm. to make sense for the, for the various localities in which people find themselves and um, right. should reflect, you know, their, their various intersectional issues. Um, um, as far as... I mean, as far as the platform, I think it's a, it, I think it's important in a way, but at the same time, I also just have very, very little faith in the system. I think the system <laughs> needs to be dismantled um, completely. Um, <laughs> to be honest with right. you, I think we need to rebuild something in its place. Um, exactly. And you know, exactly. and you know, including in, including dismantling um, the police and abolishing the police as they exist currently. I mean, we're at a point now they're so militarized. There is no point of return in terms of how police do their business. Um, we right. basically just have to abolish them and start over. So, there you go. so, yeah, it's about deconstructing, you know, the system that is currently in place and reconstructing it so that, you know, again, you know, a lot of the issues are, you know, addressed, you know, about that parity there. So we're just looking at this, and, you know, we stand in solidarity with the protesters across the country. Let's not get anything mistaken. You know, we've made it quite clear. I will give credit when it's due. We saw earlier today someone brought it to my attention. They tweeted it at me that the American Humanist Association did make a statement regarding the protesters in Baltimore, and they stated that they support them and that they were in solidarity with them. So that's absolutely wonderful. The owner or the CLO of the Boston Orioles made a very profound statement. I mean, I was really surprised to hear that come out of his mouth. So I guess my thing now is, okay, you made this statement, and because I don't understand the inner workings and I haven't done any research, I just saw this yesterday, um, about how he has set up his organizations. I'm hoping that there, you know, that there are people of color that are working and receiving a living wage, you know, as part of that particular franchise. I can only maybe maybe Raina can help me out with that. You know, has the Baltimore Orioles have they do they have a reputation of, you know, hiring people of color and paying them fairly? <laughs> Does anyone in Baltimore have a reputation of hiring black people and paying them fairly? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I just saw that yesterday. In- <laughs> I found it profound for someone of that 
you know, for, first of all, that stature, you know, their, you know, celebrity there, and also of their financial means. So my thing is put your money where your mouth is. So now that he's made this statement, are you going to give your workers, you know, a living wage? Are you going to set it up so that some of these children for the summer, and we're only a month and a half away, you know, for some kids, they get out in a couple of weeks. Some other kids, right. they'll be getting in about a month. So are you putting, you know, programs together so that these young people will be able to work and, you know, have wages coming in over the summer so they can do things. They want to buy stuff. Some of them want to save up their money. Some of them are trying to save up a little something, something for when they go to school or what have you. It doesn't matter. It's their money. But, you know, what are you doing for that? One thing I can say is that, you know, here in Chicago, Kanye West and Common are working it again, and also Magic Johnson, you know, he's also doing it, but they're putting, they, they have programs in which they give the young people in Chicago summer jobs. They did it last year, and they're doing it again this year. And guess what happened when they, you know, put that program in? Crime went down. Crime went right. down. So, right. you know, it's like this. I may not like some of the things that they stand for or that they say, but, you know, I see them coming back into the community and helping people. And this is what we have, you know, been standing on since the very beginning. Since I started this show, I've been talking about this, you know, working in the community, social justice, you know, community service, all of that. This is important. And for those who can't get out there for whatever reason, you know, donate some money. You know, if you only got 20 bucks to donate, that's fine. Those $20 donations add up. You know, you got $5. That adds up, too. So, you know, do what you can. But get out of here and, you know, when change is made, you know, and, you know, I'm trusting that change will be made. When that change is made, it affects all of us across the board. And mm -hmm. I just feel it will be to my, you know, best interest to support these young people because one day I'm going to be really old and I'm going to need these young people to take care of me. So it, it would be in my best interest to encourage their, you know, um, you know, their economic, you know, their educational stances and things that they need because, you know, it's like we're going in circles. And what a lot of people and don't see. Mm -hmm. And as a humanist, it's, it's, in, it's in all of our interest to see um, our fellow band doing well and taken exactly. care of and able to eat and what have you. Right. So. Right. Regardless, you're, exactly. Regardless if you're a secular humanist or a Christian humanist, you know, humanist is or you know, otherwise religious humanist. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, you know, it's just it's important that we understand what's happening, that we get out in the community. And like I said, some people just simply can't be out there for a number of reasons. Donate. You know, so I put it on my Facebook wall. It's on my Tumblr, my Twitter. All of that, I put up the information about, the, you know, the legal bail funds for, you know, these young people. And, you know, don't forget about Ferguson. Don't forget about Oakland. You know, don't forget. And keep your eyes out. Don't for forget about <laughs> South Central L.A. for people who didn't um, get to see it. There was a documentary that came on HBO last night. And uh, if you're able to see this documentary, I highly recommend it. But it's a documentary on the Grim Sleeper serial killer. And um, the documentary is actually, it's not 
I mean, it's about the grim sleeper, but in a lot of ways, it's about about the the apathy of mm-hmm. uh, of the govern of the governing bo- bodies in LA and the police force um, towards the black community in South Central LA. Um, that this man was able to murder hundreds of black women, um, you know, most of whom were prostitutes. Um, mm-hmm without without um anyone really bothering to investigate it seriously. I mean right. I was I was floored when I was watching the documentary and they talked about how um the police officers actually had a sketch in their possession for nearly mm-hmm. twenty five years before they circulated it. Wow. And think wow. and and yeah and um and in addition to that the police only ever um, only ever found one uh, surviving victim, and um, but what the documentarians found using pictures that the that the suspect had in his custody, because there were hundreds of pictures that this man had in his house. This is why they think he ki- he killed um, hundreds of women because he had hundreds of these pictures in his house for women who were unaccounted for. Well, the documentarians actually were able to um, hook up with a former prostitute who was able to research and and find, I think, an additional twenty surviving victims of wow. the of the um, of the uh, Grim Sleeper, and so it it just goes to show you. I mean, and some of these women they were they were um, scared to go to the cops because to go to the cops as a prostitute. Um, you know, when, while you're telling them about how someone, um, you know, might have, um, you know, attacked you, they're they're right. basically trying to build a case against you. Exactly. You know, For they're building a case exactly. against you, and and then then um and then they were talking about how um when when most of these prostitutes um, were found, um, the police didn't even bother to investigate. They just wrote on their files, no human involved. See, there no you human go. involved. Yep. And you know mm-hmm. why they wrote that? Because they didn't view those women as human beings. See, exactly. Worthy exactly. of protection. And, th- and the same thing is happening in Baltimore. These, these officials, I mean, even though we've had, we've had, we've had, you know, black mayors, black city council persons, you know, we have a black president, and unfortunately, as you know, transformative as Obama has been in many ways, Obama has actually been disastrous for the black community in many ways, and um, so have many of the black officials that we've had in Baltimore City. I mean, it just goes to show you that you know, it's not just about the race of the individuals that you put in charge; it's about their compassion as well, and their ability to um, to be progressive and to see what the needs really are. And unfortunately, Baltimore has not had that kind of leadership. Right. Exactly. And, I mean, you're right about your critique about the president. And in addition to that, a lot of the issues that we're having now, um, you know, as far as, like, the wealth that was, you know, basically snatched from out of the black community, you know, go back and thank Bill Clinton for that with mm-hmm. his NAFTA and his contract for America. 
And, and, and you know what? Wait until TTT hits. TPP hits. That's going to make yeah. it even worse. Exactly. So we're not for TPP. Oh, TPP. Yeah. So no, yeah. we're not for that. Oh, let me. Oh, oh, let me tell you. I saw the funniest thing on Twitter. Somebody said maybe we should teach the kids the kids in Baltimore Chinese so that they can go to China and get a job. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. But, you know, there's some truth to that, and you can find free language courses online. I think openware. Yeah, but the problem language. is the problem is, is when they get there, they'll be subject to uh, unfair labor laws. But that's a different story. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, but, you know, again, I mean, what you said is true. And so t- Thursday, tomorrow's Wednesday, I get my days mixed up. And you should be proud of me. No brain fog today. I'm not sitting over here talking in tongues. But, you know, it's not early. But this Sunday, we will be doing a show, 8 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Eastern. We'll be talking about the N-Word Part 2. And it's going to be a three-part series, so I'm just going ahead and tell you all that now. But we're going to finish that up, and then after that, we'll talk about Jim Crow. And so, um, again. Again? You know, Why are we talking about Jim Crow again? We did that show. No, I didn't Jim Crow again. No, I didn't. I, I, I feel like you Jim did Crow. that show. Okay. Well, I mean, you, we've talked about a lot of the things that have happened under Jim Crow, but, you know, we haven't necessarily talked about the history of Jim Crow and how it still pretty much exists to this day. They just prettied it up a little bit. If you say we haven't talked about it, I think we talked about it. (laughs) All right, so, okay. So if we don't do Jim Crow next, we'll push it out a little bit. Do you want to talk about the paradox of race? I feel like we've already talked about that. We've talked about the history of race and racism, where it comes from. Okay. Well, The Arrogance of Faith, that book is too damn thick for me to be able to pump something out in two weeks. So we'll figure something out. <laughs> Have you seen that book? I didn't know it was that big. You know, and there are no, no pictures. There you go. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so we'll figure something out. But two more weeks of the N-word, talking about the history of that. And, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. But... Again, you know, it's important that you sit down with the young people in your life, you know, whether they're relatives or neighbors or, you know, what have you, and you tell them about history and you listen to them. You know, a lot of these children, you know, part of the problem is the older folks aren't listening to them. And it's important that, you know, we take that into consideration and stand behind them. You know, and I mean, if if people are doing wrong, you call the wrong out, period. You know, but, you know, what's happening now, again, you know, I just feel as though the situations that we're seeing now, the protests that are happening across this country, in many cases, you know, I feel that it was orchestrated. So, you know, you need to pay attention. You need to go back and read your history. I've told you all to look up. Um, information on the protest psychosis, and with that particular issue is during the Black Power Movement and the Civil Rights Movement, they were, basically they reworded some of the language in the DSM in which 
you know, they use um, aggressive and angry or what have you. They they've added that to the description for schizophrenia. And that's how more people of color were diagnosed as schizophrenic because before then that particular designation was relegated to white women and, and eccentric white men. So they were saying, you know, housewives, you know, painters, uh, you know, people of that particular, you know, um, genre, if you will. So they expanded, you know, the definition. That's how quite a few of the people that were out there protesting during the Black Power and the Civil Rights Movement, you know, quite a few of them were diagnosed as being schizophrenic. And what's happening now, and that we need you to pay attention, I mean, I started telling you all about this over a year ago, about how they now categorize protesters as domestic terrorists. So we want you to be aware of what's happening. They charged a black Low level woman. Low-level domestic terrorists. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And they charged one black woman with lynching because she was out there protesting. So we need you all to pay attention to what's happening. This is why, you know, we're putting the links out for the legal and jail fund, you know, for for these young people. But, you know, you see how things changed. You know, they started categorizing you know, protesters as, you know, low-level domestic terrorists during Occupy Wall Street. But I don't remember seeing very many um, people of non-color being arrested and charged with lynching or, you know, or or too much of anything. But, you know, but there there were some arrests. I, you know, I have to say that I saw it in Chicago. I went out a couple of times, you know, you know, OWS. And when people start getting arrested, I have to go home. So um, that's, <laughs> well, you knew what my career was back then. Um, you would understand why. But Again, we need to talk about these things. We need to keep the conversation open. We need to keep the lines of communication open, and we need to be available. You know, so, you know, that's pretty much that. Was there anything else you want to expound on, Raina? Um, I think we covered most of it. Um, I mean, basically, don't believe anything that comes out comes from the police in Baltimore. Like I'm I'm just being dead serious. The police are just not trustworthy. Our government in in Baltimore is just not trustworthy. Um the media and 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 you know for the most part in its coverage is is just untrustworthy, particularly that which we saw on CNN the other night um right <laughs> with with the way that they fretted over the um fretted over the CVS. I mean, I don't think any of them fretted as much over CVS is, uh, uh, you know, over um, Freddie Gray as they did over CVS. I mean, you know, I thought right. I thought Wolf Blitzer was gonna <laughs> was gonna break out into tears, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was just appalling. But um, I recommend um, anyone who wants to read a really good piece on it, you can read. Um, oh man, there's just a lot of good pieces that are out. But definitely yeah, read China DC Coast. Yeah, Tanya yeah. posted this piece um, over on it on the Atlantic, the um, the compliance of nonviolence, or yeah, uh, non non-compl- nonviolence as compliance, <laughs> and, 
and um, right. read definitely read um, a report from Occupied Territory by you know James Baldwin and um, and uh, I forget the other the other person's name. Um, there's also an article oh, that yeah, um, and then there's also an article um, by uh, Mother Jones um, talking about the eyewitness part of point of view from the riots. Um, there's um, also, a, an article on HuffPo about the six different maps that show how diff how deeply segregated Baltimore City is. Um, they have a map that shows um, police shootings, a map that shows abandoned houses or, or um, you know, houses that are burned out or vacant lots. They also have a map of where black and white people are concentrated. Um, you know, there's just a lot of great pieces coming out. Um, you know, read, read what's out there, um, but be careful what you read because a lot of it is, is garbage that's coming out. Um, you know, these people are not thugs. They're no. not thugs. No. Exactly. They're not thugs. And, you know, we just want to make sure that clarify that. And in addition to that, I guess my question to Raina would be, you know, we'll take a few more minutes here. What was your, what are your thoughts about President Obama's response? I mean, honestly, I didn't watch his response because I knew it would piss me off. So <laughs> <laughs> I just decided to like head that off. You know what I yeah. mean? So yeah, right. I mean, I can imagine basically. Um, what the response is. Also, if you're tweeting me on, if you're tweeting at me on Twitter um, about about my position on corporal punishment, I'm sorry. I don't care how many times you tweet at me. Um, you know that what that mother did on television is right. still unacceptable to me. It's not going to exactly. save her child from being Freddie Gray. It's not going to exactly. save her child from prison because if you ask if you ask most people who are in prison if their parents um, use corporal punishment, they will say that their parents use corporal punishment. So corporal punishment is not a a uh, solution to keeping your children out of trouble. You know, leading your child into compliance, you know, particularly compliance with the state, is right. not going to protect them from state violence. Black people exactly. cannot behave their way out of racism. There's no way that we can do it. You know, we tried. We tried in Tulsa. We tried in Rosewood. We tried yep. in Goldsboro and a million yep. other towns that we no longer know the names of because they've been wiped off the map. Okay? Exactly. And property has so, been stolen. And property has been stolen. It has happened time and time again. So please miss me with that bullshit. <laughs> All right, then. I guess, you know, that's what Raina has to say about that. So, again, you know, um, just keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. Be careful about what you ingest, you know, as far as, you know, the media is concerned. You can't believe everything that the media puts out there. Because, unfortunately, for the most part, the media reports what's dictated to them. 
I mean, we've seen several instances in which the media held information back because the government, you know, basically told them to. And we've also right. seen when they did move forward with certain stories, how, you know, some of the media, they've been, you know, um, incarcerated because they refused to give their sources. So, you know, keep your eye out on that. Um, also, one last um, announcement again, I want to make sure everybody knows that our Moving Social 2 conference will be taking place in D.C. on October 17th and 18th at the MLK Library in Chinatown. So more details to come from that, but we, again, thank you all for joining us tonight. We're going to be starting back up with the webcast, and People of Color Beyond Faith now has a blog talk radio show, and there will be interviews and, you know, information coming forth soon, you know, the blog as well as, um, you know, the radio show with the podcast. So we wanted to make sure you all are aware of that and hit us up on Facebook. We have a public page. You can reach us on Twitter and Google Plus as well. If you want to send us an email, people of color beyond faith at Gmail. Again, that's people of color beyond faith at gmail dot com. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at blackfreethinkers at gmail dot com. Again, that's blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. We appreciate it. And one more time, Black Lives Matter. All Black Lives Matter. Each and every last one of them. Closing words, Raina? Um, you know, I just I just challenge people to expand their their minds and just expand the the way that they view other people's humanity. I just mm-hmm. I challenge you to just to to rethink what you've learned. You know, I mean if you can look at what happened yesterday and see that as anything different from the um boss from the Boston Tea Party, then you're a hypocrite. Um and and even and even more so because the people who were fighting, um, who were involved in the Boston Tea Riot, we should call it mm-hmm. a riot. The Boston Tea Riot were fighting um, because of uh, they they because basically because of money because the state was taking too much money. But yesterday, people were rioting because the state is taking lives. Right. So we have to start thinking of, thinking about. Um, or rethinking uh, about the way that we um, we view these events, and we need to um, to get real about what's going on. Um, it's it's too easy to just dismiss these people as thugs and criminals. Um, don't do that. That's what the city of Baltimore has been doing to these people for decades. That's right. what the teachers have done. That's what the federal government has done. That's what right. the companies that have left Baltimore have done. Don't do that. These people are human beings. These people have dreams and aspirations. And there was actually a, a young man on, on CNN the other night, um, you know, who he, he couldn't articulate everything that he was, that he was feeling, but he definitely, um, he definitely knows, he definitely knows within his heart what's going on in the city. Right. And he knows that he's been failed. He knows that right. the city is not providing him what he needs in terms of education, in terms of, 
having safe places to play, to, you know, to explore, to learn, to grow. And that, um, right. you know, that the city ultimately doesn't care whether he lives or dies. Exactly. Or whether he's incarcerated or not. And so when people feel that way, what choices do they have? You know, why are some of us calling what happened in the Middle East the Islamic Spring and calling what happened yesterday a riot? Why are we calling that, um, why are we referring to the people who are participating in it as animals instead of freedom fighters? These people are are looking, these people have, have, have turned to looting and to destroying property because no one views them as being more than uh, being worth as, even as much as the property that they're destroying. So right. until we until we decide that these people's lives are valuable, we can't we can't condemn them for destroying property. I mean, that's what insurance exists for. You know, exactly. Insurance restores restores property, and there's nothing that can restore human life. And until we start getting real about you know our policy and our our country and its history of racism and its you know ongoing discrimination we are going to face this problem again and again and again and again exactly and you know going on with you know on top of adding to what Raina was stating there again that's how this country was formed this country was not formed on peaceful protests it was no period excuse me and we need to understand that you need to know the history of it you want to talk to a witness go to a reservation and talk to some of our native americans some of our indigenous people you know they didn't you know willfully just give this over to you know the quote unquote founding fathers because you know they wanted to it was taken away from them you know, they were, you know, poisoned with the smallpox. No, was the smallpox? They have a smallpox vaccine. You know, they were forced to leave, you know, areas and forced to march. You know, that's the Trail of Tears. I mean, well, they wouldn't have given them small smallpox vaccine. And the blanket, the blanket thing is, is questionable. Yeah, but the the point the point is is that millions of Native Americans were were killed, and and right. and and remove, forcibly removed from their land. And um, this country, this country, this country was founded on white rioting right. <laughs> and, and white and white torture and white pillaging and genocide of people of color. That's just the exactly. truth. That's, that's, that's small the fundamental vaccine? truth. Yeah, you Did said small pass vaccines, but it's all good. We all know what you meant. Yeah, we, we all know what you meant. The blanket yeah. thing, the blanket, the blanket thing is still questionable. But I mean, given right. given everything that we know, I mean, it's it's not unreasonable to think that there was someone somewhere who, you know, maybe gave blankets to Native Americans in the hope that it would kill them, you know. Right. So exactly. So yeah. So the point is, is that this country was taken by force, you know. Right. And it, what's interesting is, you know, um, at the Bundy Ranch. You know, he had snipers, you know, other people that were armed and pointing their weapons at the police officials, you know, the um, federal officials. 
And miraculously, no one got shot. And the officials and the police, they went home. So, again, you have these double standards that are out here. We want you to pay attention to that. It's just so much that's happening. And this is, you know, it's starting to sweep across the country. You know, what we saw in October and November, you know, that was the beginning of it. And now that, you know, the weather has cleared up a little bit, you're going to see this across the country. So, again, we just want to, you know, again, plead with you guys to, you know, support some of these organizations that are out here, um, you know, making sure that, you know, if they if the protesters, in, you know, encounter tear gas, they have to put milk in their eyes and things like that to help them overcome, you know, some of the fumes, you know, from the tear gas. And they need first aid kits. They need a lot of things. And... You know, for those of us that can, we should give and and help them out. So anyway, um, there's so much more that we can talk about, but I think we've done enough for right now. I mean, I'm just, you know, I can just say, you know, my heart is broken because, you know, this is happening across the country. I don't have any children, but, you know, I have nieces and nephews and by extension, I feel that they're my children, and they have their own children now. In a couple of cases, their children have children. And, you know, just looking to the future for them, you know, my generation and the generation before me, we dropped the ball. We dropped the ball. So, you know, we have to own that. We have to own it. So this is why, you know, I feel compelled to help because I don't want, you know, my great nieces and nephews to have to suffer. I just don't. And I'm going to do everything I can to try to make this, you know, a more just world and, and nation for them. So on that note, I think we're out. And yeah, we're out. Yeah, you know, join us Sunday morning, 8 a.m. right now. 8 a.m. your time. Yeah, 8 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll have some more information that we'll be releasing about the conference. But like I said, put your coins together. October 17th and 18th, Washington, D.C. at the MLK Library. So we're looking forward to seeing you and meeting you. I'm just really excited. We're building on the momentum from last year, like I said, last year's conference. It was very empowering. It was, you know, educational, informative, and it was, it felt like a big family reunion. And what we're trying to, you know, convey, we're trying to, you know, talk about social justice, you know, and within that, we want to talk about, you know, economic justice, environmental justice, racial parity, LGBT community, LGBTQ community, and a number of issues there, you know, and it's, 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 it's going to be a good time, and we want to see you, and there is no registration fee. Everything is free. So, um, you know, we will be taking donations, you know, again, to, to make sure that, you know, we're able to put together these programs and, you know, make sure we have some refreshments, you know, available for you guys. 
and, you know, for a couple of people that we will be flying in. So it'll be some more information coming out, but for our conference at MLK Library, it's free. All you have to do is show up. That is all we want you to do. We want you to show up. We love you. We care about you, and we want to talk to you, and we want your voice to be heard. So please come and join us October 17th and 18th, Moving Social Justice 2, absolutely free, absolutely free. But we are taking donations. So, again, you can send your donations to plcbeyondfaith at gmail.com. Again, that's Are we doing an Indiegogo or something, too, or, or no? Do we have one? We have a GoFundMe page. I just haven't distributed it. Um, I'll give okay. it to you. I'll give it to you guys so you all can put that out there. But we're going to, so the reason why I chose the GoFundMe fundraiser is because we're going to be constantly fundraising. So our second annual conference will take place October 17th and 18th of this year. Next June, I would say April and May, but we pushed it back to June. June of 2016, we will be doing another free conference in Philadelphia. And then he would go back to October, you know, the middle, early part of October of 2016. We'll be in D.C. again. So our national conference will be stationed in D.C. because we want people to be able to come there and, you know, if you're going to make it a fun-filled weekend for you and the family, then, you know, you can go to the Memorial, the Smithsonian, just a number of things there. We will have, you know, um, a breakout room or two. So if you are bringing your child, you know, let us know so that we can make arrangements to have someone there to, you know, because it's going to be at the library. So, you know, maybe they'll allow us to let the kids go out, pick a couple of books. They can read to each other, what have you. So if you if you have plans to come and you're bringing your child, we can arrange for, you know, um, supervision or daycare or what have you for them for that particular weekend during the hours of the conference. So, you know, again, I'm excited and I thank you all for allowing me to be a part of your life. Um, you know, I really appreciate when I get the emails telling me how you enjoy the show. I see the people, I see the support, and you just never know, you know, how much that, you know, I just feel the love. And so I appreciate you guys. And just like I appreciate the people that I'm working with, you know, I appreciate Raina. Jen, Rev, MC Brooks, you know, and, and, you know, a number of other people out here who are, you know, working with us to make sure that this conference takes place and to be able to move forward. So, again, moving social justice, too. And thank you. And, Raina? Yes, ma'am. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye.